Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So, if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Overnight Trainer Podcast. I am so excited you're here and I'm so, so excited for today's episode. We have a very special guest to cover a topic that was actually requested by one of you. So keep these suggestions coming. I love to do uh, episodes based on what you need help with, what questions you have out there. Before we start, every noise that could be happening in my house right now is happening. So if you hear some background noise, uh, we are currently in the midst of a freeze here in Austin, Texas. So I have the heat running and my neighbors upstairs decided to run their washing machine right when I started to record. So <laughs> and welcome to a little glimpse into my life. Uh, but before we officially get started, you know I love to talk about my clients. And one in particular, we've been working together for um, a little less than three months now. So I think two, two and a half months. And she uh, was a school teacher, so a middle school teacher, and was able to leave her middle school job a few weeks ago, which was so exciting. Um, she got out of the classroom and she had some really incredible contract positions lined up for her while she was looking for a full-time role in instructional design. And a couple weeks ago, she got offered a role for a full-time instructional designer, and it was the first full-time role she'd been offered, and they completely lowballed her, completely, completely lowballed her. And it was shattering, right? It was gut-wrenching to go through the process of the application and interviewing and meeting everyone to get a, a an offer lower than what she was making as uh, as a middle school teacher. So my advice to her was, it's just not the right role for you. It's not the right company for you. I said, in three weeks from now, you're going to be saying, who? Who are they? And lo and behold, three weeks later, uh, she has one incredible offer uh, making several times the amount of salary that she was as a teacher. And then she has her final interview for another really incredible company for a full-time role this week. So I promised her in the beginning of all this, I said, I'm just going to come down to having the best problem you can, which is two incredible offers to choose from. And it's looking like that is going to happen. So I say all that to say that I know it's hard sometimes when you're, you know, switching careers or even looking for a new job in general and it kind of feels like nothing's happening or it's moving really slow. I always say to my clients, it's about the momentum train. And once that train starts, it doesn't stop. And it's up to you to to decide what's 
what stop you're going to get off on and what station you're going to get off on on the momentum train. And that wasn't the the train for her. That wasn't the stop for her is more of what I meant to say there. So she now has two great stops uh, to weigh and I couldn't be more excited. And that's what we work on and work through with my one-on-one coaching clients. So I'm only taking two clients per month moving forward. So keeping it very small, uh, very boutique and the fact that I not only spend... 45 minutes uh, a week with you one-on-one, but I spend a lot of time outside of our sessions, on the job boards, reaching out to people who have uh, open positions, connecting you with them, working on your resumes, your cover letters, your LinkedIn profile. So uh, to make sure that I'm giving everything I can to my clients, I'm only taking two clients per month moving forward. So if you are interested in securing one of those spots uh, for March, I have uh, some availability there. So please feel free to reach out to me. If you go to theovernighttrainer.com slash coaching, you can schedule a consultation call with me there. I would love, love, love to be part of this great problem of having to choose from several jobs for you. So uh, feel free, again, reach out to me. It's a free consultation, uh, theovernighttrainer.com slash coaching. So on today's episode, it is all about developing software training, and I am joined by the award-winning instructional designer, Kim Scott. She's an instructional designer, a leader, and a software training guru. She spearheads an international group of over 50 instructional designers and trainers at FedEx as they deliver engaging training to over 50,000 learners in a fast-paced agile software development environment. Welcome, Kim, to the Overnight Trainer Podcast. I am so, so, so excited to have you on. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. I, you know, this is, I'm so excited to be talking to you for so many reasons, but the first is that this is actually a a listener requested podcast. So we had a listener write to me and uh, ask for ask for me to bring someone on who is the guru and knowledgeable about systems training development and software training development. And I am so excited to bring you on the show to help answer the the listeners' questions. So this is really, really exciting for me to to have you on. And before you know we really get started and we dive into all things systems and technology, Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your L&D journey. Who is Kim Scott? Well, I started off as a middle and high school social studies teacher. And one thing I quickly learned as a um, social studies or history teacher is that students find history boring. So I once had a student approach me on the first day of school and say, Miss Scott, I heard that you're an amazing teacher and I'm really going to like you and get along with you, but I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to hate your class. So I said to the student, okay, I respect your opinion, but can you tell me why? And the student said, well, it's just that history is boring. All you learn about is dates and dead people. And I said, okay, hmm. Well, can you do this for me? Can you give me 30 days before you form an opinion about my class? The student said, okay, Miss Scott. So I realized right then and there, um, as well as a number of other times, that it wasn't that students actually hated history. They hated the way it was being taught. 
because history is history. It, you know, it doesn't change. We may find out additional details, but history doesn't change. So it was just the way they had been taught. They'd either been lectured to for an hour, or they had a teacher that asked them to read a bunch of pages and answer questions. <clears throat> so um, what I did is I began looking for or even developing my own creative teaching strategies. And so this really began my journey into instructional design because I began designing my own instruction so I could engage my students in the content and help maximize their retention. Um, so I did teaching for about eight years. Um, after I left the classroom, I moved into doing ed tech training for my school district, uh, for teachers around the district. And so I showed teachers how to use software, but not simply where to click and how to click and what to select, but how to effectively use technology to enhance their teaching and maximize student um, engagement and their, you know, retention. After that, I began my journey into ed tech in the higher ed space, and I did the same thing. I trained instructors and sometimes staff on the effective use of technology and how it can improve um, their skills and their job. Um, in the higher ed space is when I really began diving into e-learning and beginning creating e-learning modules and that side of instructional design. And so I'm currently a global instructional designer for FedEx World Headquarters, where I develop software training to over 50,000 users in over, I think, 20 different countries. That is incredible. And I love, I, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on too is I love how you started in K through 12 education as a social studies teacher. And a lot of people listening to the show um, are in either higher ed or they're in K through 12 education looking to break in. So I, I love your journey and how like, you, you really went on this beautiful journey between, you know, being a social studies teacher to then moving into ed tech and then moving into higher ed and then now, you know, being in the, in the corporate space. So I think it's such a, a wonderful and inspiring journey that you have. I just, I love, I really, really love how you said, you know, give me 30 days, right? And it, it, it's a really great way to, you know, kind of challenge what, I feel like that's something that we could use even in corporate learning, right? Like when we're starting classes, like saying, all right, guys, I know this material may not be your favorite material. You might, ha might have a preconceived notion on it, but just give me an hour or give me 20 minutes or give me 30 days. So I really, really loved that you challenged that student and, I'm assuming that they ended up, like you said, you know, loving loving your class and loving the loving the content in it. So I think that's I think that's so cool. Yeah, it was really a challenge to me, and um, my challenge to the student was give me the opportunity to prove myself. I think that's great, and I think it I think it also shows too that you know we have to be sometimes flexible too, when it comes to thinking about who our learners are and what what are their preconceived notions of, of training as they come in. So I, I love that. And you know, when we think about systems training, that's, you know, systems, software training, e-learning, you know, that is really what you are known for. You are an award-winning instructional designer. What do you find rewarding about designing software and systems training? So technology is hard. Uh, it could be hardware, software. It, it's, it's just usually hard for certain people to understand. 
um, and comprehend. So one of the things I love to do is I love breaking it down to simple steps and helping users understand how they can use and apply it to make their jobs better or even their lives better. Um, I like creating, I like thinking in sequences of steps. So that's how I design my uh, training in small sequences of steps that they can easily follow and easily apply when they need to utilize that software or the systems training. I love that. When you think about the difference between software training and more soft skills training like sales you know what would you say is the big difference when it comes to actually designing training for software and systems versus more soft skills that's an excellent question soft skills training tends to be more subjective more ambiguous um it can be harder to evaluate someone's organization over something say like e-learning or their organization in the real world software training to me is actually easier to evaluate and correct you can actually see if they're clicking the right sequences of buttons if they're connecting how to apply that in their jobs or in their daily lives so um it tends to be more tactical and more exact than those soft skills trainings um how to handle conflict um, but it still allows you to do higher level thinking activities such as scenarios and evaluating the work of others. I think sometimes software and systems training gets a, a bad rap. Almost we talked about same same level as social studies, right? But like, oh, it's just, you know, numbers and, you know, clicking buttons and all of that stuff. But I, you know, I love how you talked about it. There's room for scenarios and sequences and, you know, there's really an art to it. It's not just, you know, clicking the buttons, which really, I mean, leads me to my next question, which is what are this, that might be a challenge, but what are the biggest challenges that you've faced or that you currently face when developing software and systems training? That's a great question. And to kind of piggyback on um, your comment, um, one of the challenges is the preconceived notions. It's the thought that um, users can come in thinking, oh, this is boring. You're just going to tell me where to click, click, click. But it's actually much more than that. In my first journey into educational technology, um, I began by teaching instructors or teachers how to use software. Um, but I think one of the things that made me so successful in that role was I was not simply telling them, click file, click save, save on your desktop. It wasn't just that sequences of steps. I would teach them that, but then I would take it to the higher order thinking and say, now here's how to apply it into your job to make your job easier. When you bring in that what's in it for me, that really drives it home. It really makes them own it. I took it a step further by not only saying what's in it for me, but what's in it for your students. So with the teachers that I provided educational technology training to, here's now that you understand how to do it and how this applies to your job, 
Now I'm going to show you how it maximizes your student learning, how it ties back to good test scores, good evaluations for you, uh, more engagement for students, and, and this, maybe even less classroom management issues. So really making sure you connect them to how to apply it. Um, other challenges I see in software training is most software companies or software projects are going agile. And uh, not just ag agile in the term of being flexible, but scrum agile. So they're rolling out software in iterations. That's what scrum agile is all about. So when they roll out the software in phases or iterations, that means that the software is constantly changing. I even uh, utilize certain software where they have releases almost weekly. Um, that can be very difficult for users, especially users that don't like change. So uh, as a software or systems trainer, trying to keep up with the constant releases myself is definitely a challenge. And then making sure my users are adequately informed and can apply these constant releases. You know what, it's interesting because a lot of times I have clients or people that I've worked like my coaching clients or people that I've worked with at other companies who've been self-conscious. I, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but has been almost fearful of getting into systems training because they're not the subject matter expert on the system. So how do you overcome, and I know you, you have a team as well, so maybe this is something you help them with too, but how do you overcome not being a subject matter expert on the system or the technology that you're developing training on? Well, there's a couple of different things that you can do. One is for a formal software project, when you're working with a company or an institution, there's usually a subject matter expert somewhere on site. Utilize them. Um, that's what they're there for. Really, um, create a collaborative relationship with them where you can learn from them. This may be project owners or project managers. It could be the software developers or um, coders themselves. Really form a relationship with them where you can learn from them. Um, additionally, um, when I was in the ed tech space, I didn't have subject matter experts. So I had to utilize good old Google. So um, let's say, for instance, I was training someone on Microsoft Access, and I'm not a SME in that area. I may need to use YouTube videos, resources from Microsoft. I really need to kind of own and learn that software myself so that then I can turn around and provide that software training to my end users or to other trainers. And also, don't be afraid to become a SME yourself. Um, in many instances, I went in and I just learned the software. Let me tell you a short story. I walked into a school when I was an ed tech trainer in K-12, and I had a teacher say, hey, Miss Scott, I got something in my closet that I've been meaning to use. And the teacher dug in their closet and pulled out some piece of technology and said, do you know what this is and how I can use it? So I looked at this, this device and said, I've never seen this before in my life. 
but give me two weeks and I'll be back with something. And so again, I utilized my friend, good old Google. And I Googled, I looked at the name of the product and I looked on the back to see if there was a website and I just started researching. I went to the company's website to see what training resources they had. Um, I searched and looked on Yahoo and Google to see what other users had put out there, um, how teachers had utilized this. Also make sure you have a network or as I've heard it called lately, have your own tribe. Whatever you're doing, whether you're a secretary, a software trainer, or um, a college president, you need a network of people who do the things that you do that you can tap into. And LinkedIn, Facebook, Clubhouse, all of these places have great networks of people who do what you do that might be struggling with the same problem, or they might be SMEs on exactly what you need helping with. So tap into that. Um, but I spent time researching the project, asking other um, educational technologies, how to use the software. And I came back and I was able to give them some basic level training. Well, this teacher was thrilled because my basic level training was awesome to her because she had no knowledge of how to use this. So even minimal training was seen as success with her. So don't be afraid to find out and become a SME yourself. I love that. And I love how you said too, how like that basic training that you were able to, you know, you were, you learned enough and then you took your instructional design experience and be able to, to craft together, curate, you know, what are the things that she's going to need to know? What's my learner going to need to know? And you had such an incredible result by her saying, wow, this is, you know, this is great. This is exactly what I needed. And so I think it's, I always tell people too, and I talked about this in a, in a previous podcast about also you know making sure that above everything else, you're the subject matter expert in learning and development, because that will then help you figure out, okay, at what level do I need to know this program or this system? And a lot of times I find that people think they need to know every single button in order to teach it. And I just really love how you brought to light that you got some basic knowledge and you knew taking it with your instructional design experience experience, you knew what that basic knowledge you would need to get that would be exactly what your learner is looking for. So I think that's such an incredible way of putting it. And I really appreciate you know, hearing your journey about you know, networking. And that's how we found each other, right? On, on LinkedIn too. So you, you know, you find, you find your tribe and it really, really is important to do that from so many different levels, but I really love saying how you can tap into it to then also find someone who can either be your SME, who can, you know, maybe who's created training like that before. So I really, I really love that. And I know, you know, we talked a lot about e-learning. And so I have people ask me all the time, like, how do I decide what's an e-learning? And, you know, my question to you is like, do you have a process to decide like what's going to be an instructor-led course? What would be an e-learning? What would be a blended approach? How do you decide on what specific modality you're going to use? It really just depends. There's no cookie cutter, cut and dry answer. And I don't have what we would call a formal process. It just really um, takes good old evaluation and decision making. So first I'm going to look at the content. What type of content are we talking about? Is it um, very complex software? Am I um, 
that users are going to have a lot of different steps and a lot of different changes. Also, let's look at our user base. Are the users completely new to this software or are they existing users? Is this just a new release or is this the initial release? Is it a pilot group or very experienced users? You have to ask yourself those questions and make an informed decision based on that. Um, because a certain set of users may really need an instructor-led course. They need that human contact. They need someone in front of them that they can ask questions, run ideas by. They can collaborate with others in the room. Whereas with other things that may be simpler, or we have more experienced users, e-learning is simply uh, fine. Also, we may consider things like time zones. If we're doing things or a global audience, it may be better to roll out e-learning and that way, no matter what time zone, how busy you are, you can take that on your own time. Um, and sometimes, if it's a combination of those things, you take a blended learning approach. Um, in my current software project, we are rolling it out to a new operating company in FedEx. So we've decided this time to take a blended learning approach. Initially with our pilot, it was a new software, big change, new users. They were the first pilot group to use the software. We started with instructor-led. They needed an instructor. They needed to talk this out. We needed feedback from those instructors about how it was going, what the benefits were. Then we moved to an e-learning approach. We moved to that e-learning approach because by then we had a good base of solid users. We also had a solid base of trainers who had actually rolled out the training and that even though users could take um, e-learning, they could reach out to those instructors and ask questions. Now that we're rolling out almost two years later, to a new operating company, we're taking a blended learning approach. For our trainers that we're training, we will have them first take the learning to get the basics, where to click, how to click, couple of quick practice activities and quiz questions. And then we're going to do a virtual instructor-led training. And in the virtual instructor-led training, we're gonna build on the foundation they started in e-learning, where we actually give them scenarios, collaborative activities, breakout rooms, where they can then take that knowledge and really apply it and think strategically how they wanna roll it out to their end users. So it really just determines on a number of things and it's always best to evaluate those key factors when making a decision. I think that's, I think that's great. You know, and it's people, I really, like really loved how you said that there's no like cut and dry formula to it. And, and I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think so many people want uh, a cut and dry when this situation happens, do this type of training. And when this type of situation happens, do this type of training. So, you know, the reality is, is that every time there's a need for learning, there's going to be a different modality depending on so many different factors. So I, I really love how you started off by saying that there's no cut and dry, there's no cookie cutter method to figure it out, but you really have to do what's best, best for the learners. And 
And with that, you know, getting into a little bit deeper, this is a question that a lot of people have for you is what technology do you use when developing software? And then the second part of that question is what would be the number one technology you would encourage someone to start learning who wants to get into software training? So the technology I use for software training, it just depends on the modality or the type of training. For example, if I'm simply creating a job aid, I use a combination of Microsoft Word and TechSmith's Nagit. I use Snagit to capture my screenshots and annotate or um, modify them to make them look polished. And then I send them on over into Microsoft Word so I can edit it, add the text, um, really build the template for it. And I usually save it in PDF form so it's not editable and that all of the objects in the job aid um, stay put for lack of a better term. If this is instructor-led training, good old PowerPoint. Microsoft PowerPoint is excellent. Um, PowerPoint is so widely used, everyone pretty much has a copy of it. So it's standard for your uh, typical trainer. Um, also, there are a lot of powerful features in PowerPoint that people forget about that can make it interactive. Um, so PowerPoint is great. Um, usually, again, I enter the screenshots and things from Snagit, but PowerPoint is great for instructor-led. When it comes to e-learning, um, there's a lot of e-learning software out there. My company currently uses Adobe Captivate, but Articulate Storyline is another great one. I really think the type of e-learning software depends on what you're doing also. Um, a lot of people love Storyline and, you know, they don't like Captivate, but Captivate is great in a lot of ways too. Um, so I think it just depends on the modality of uh, learning to determine the technology that you use. Now, I don't think I can really narrow down one technology that somebody who wants to learn software training should get to know. Again, it may depend on the job at hand. If they're tasked with doing instructor-led training, well, I've gave, given you those recommendations. If it's going to be e-learning, there's those. Um, there's also video training. And for video training, my number one go-to is TechSmith Camtasia. Very quick and easy to learn, and it's cheaper than most software um, that you will see in the industry. So I think really determining the mode of learning. Um, if I had to absolutely pick one, I think I would go with TechSmith Camtasia. Um, again, it's probably the cheapest software, especially when you're looking at getting bang for your buck. Uh, Camtasia is excellent um, as far as price point and doesn't require you to buy a yearly subscription. Uh, it's very easy to use and you can get up and running very quickly. They have training videos that walk you through how to use it. And there's a lot of little bells and whistles that you can add on to it. And they've added a lot of assets and templates. So if nothing else, go get you a free trial to Camtasia or purchase it. And then um, use it to record your screen and walk users through how to use the software. I think that's great. And I really, really appreciate you talking about the power of, no pun intended, but the power of PowerPoint, uh, because, you know, I see so many, especially on LinkedIn and just in, in our, in our industry in general, so many people 
really going heavy and hard on all these softwares with all these bells and whistles and all these features. And I think sometimes we forget a, I think we forget about the learner and that like it's about creating an experience for them. It's not just about adding 500,000 buttons and branching the scenarios 40,000 times that it's, you know, it's, it's what's going to be best for them and best for them in the moment of their learning need. But I also love talking, you know, for me, what you just said really shows the accessibility and some of these programs are really, really expensive. And if you are out on your own freelancing or you are working for a company that doesn't have a big budget or you know, you're just trying to figure out these programs yourself, it can be really overwhelming to figure out what to spend your money on. And so I really, really appreciated how you talked about PowerPoint, which is something that most, if not all organizations have, and that there's so many things within PowerPoint that you can do. And then on top of it, I use Camtasia all the time. I love Camtasia. I'm a, I created my whole course using Camtasia and I created it. I, I, I captured my screen. I captured my PowerPoint, right? So I used two things to create my entire course and it has really great reviews and it's really helpful to a lot of people. So I really loved your advice there because it really, really talks to like the accessibility. And I know that's a lot of people as they're getting into the L&D industry, specifically instructional design and specifically systems training, it can be overwhelming with all of those technologies. So that's really, really wonderful advice. And then my, you know, my last big question to you is speaking of advice, what is your advice to anyone interested in the software training side of learning and development? It's a wonderful question, and I've actually never been asked that, so I love the opportunity to share. Um, I'm going to try to make sure I'm comprehensive, but also concise with this answer. Um, so the first thing you should do in any type of L&D training, learning, is keeping what's best for the learner first. Regardless of how much work it causes for us or what our SMEs think or what management wants, your model needs to be what's best for the learner. And what's best for the learner is what's, what comes first. Um, number two, I've said that in this program, that's going to become another motto of mine. Don't be afraid to become your own SME, um, especially when it comes with software training. If you're expected to train on the software, they're going to give you access to it. So go in there, play around. 99.99% of the time, you won't break it. I had a lot of teachers in my career that were afraid to use software because they said, I feel like I'm going to break something. And I told them, in the world of Windows and Mac, they have this wonderful button called the undo button. And almost every program I know has it. If you do break something, just hit the undo button. So um, we need to remember that as trainers, particularly software trainers, be your own SME. If you're um, charged with training on a piece of software and you've never seen it before, as I had as an educational technologist, give yourself some time. Tell the SME or the stakeholder, hey, I need a little time to get you the best answer and go home and play with it, dot around in it, see what's on the internet, um, reach out to your crew, reach out to your tribe and ask them, has anybody used this? Uh, would you mind showing me? You'll be amazed at how many people you don't even know that you might go out and you ask them for advice 
on some software you're trying to train or advice, and they're happy to just jump on a Zoom or WebEx or a phone call and, and walk you through it for no charge at all. Also, another great piece of advice, if you want to make your training impactful, remember the what's in it for me. It's all great and well that users have to use some a piece of software or do something new. Even in my instance, when it's required training, that doesn't make a difference for them. What makes a difference is the what's in it for me. How does it make my life better, my job easier? How does it make me more money or make me more efficient? Once you can identify that and drive that home, you've got their attention. Now you just need to captivate and engage them. Um, a technical piece of advice um, that I thought was well understood, but I'm starting to find out is not, ensure that you have a training environment. And what I mean by that is if you're training on software within the software industry, ensure that there's a test playground or training environment that users can use. I've been on software projects and they had a production environment. And I said, so where can I conduct training? Well, there was nowhere for the users to actually get acclimated or they would state, oh, they could just go in production, just tell them not to hit the submit button and really do anything. Well, that's not helpful. We need an environment that mocks the actual software that users use that they can play around in. Now, if it's something like Word, that's fine. That's kind of standard. But if it's proprietary software or new software being rolled out, ensure that there's a place where the learners can go and do training and not be afraid to break something. They need to be able to go in, get hands on, and even after the training, have access to it so they can really play around, try their own ideas and scenarios, and ask those questions that they need answered. Um, I believe there's a book, but there's definitely a saying that says, tell it ain't training. So make sure that you're actually training your users, not telling them. So it's great to show them a video. It's great to walk them through the process. But if you don't give your users an opportunity to get there and actually utilize it, in the way you want to show them and the way they need to use it in their daily life, you really haven't made an impact. I can't tell you how many times I've seen trainers show somebody something and the user sits there and say, okay, this is so easy. This is great. I got it. And then when you ask them to reciprocate that, they can't do it. That's because they need that hands-on learning. So break your training down into small steps, give them three to five steps and let them turn around and do it. Let them ask you questions, let them fail. Let them figure it all out, ask you their questions because it's much safer and much better for them to fail in training than fail in real life. And my last piece of advice is don't be afraid of failure. I think too many times in life, we're so afraid about being the best and having everything perfect. We don't realize that failure is a part of learning. And thus, if you're not afraid of failure, impart that upon your users. Ensure that they're not afraid of failure. Um, again, failure is a part of learning. So one of the things I had to realize when I was a Common Core coach for the state of Tennessee is that um, it's okay to let your users have productive 
struggle. And what I mean by that is give them opportunities to learn something. Even if it's something new, it's okay if they fail. They can work together as a group or you can help them as a trainer, a facilitator, or a coach to help bring them back. But the opportunity for them to fail and then to turn around and succeed and figure it all out is one of the biggest learning successes that a user um, can experience. So allow your user to fail, but help and coach them back along. Allow them to collaborate. If someone gets lost, allow someone else to help them. Um, and also, don't be afraid to do that as a trainer. Try out different methods. It may fail, but you're going to learn something powerful and be even better next time. So make sure you're not afraid of failing because in the end, it'll make you and your learners more successful. I feel like that was not only incredible advice for anyone interested in getting into the software trading side of L&D, but you just gave us some incredible life advice. I feel, I feel like, wow, I can go out there and do anything. And that's, I, I love that. And, and thank you. Thank you so much. You're so knowledgeable and you're so passionate about this. And I would love for people to be able to find you and to talk to you more about this. Where can people find you, Kim? Where can they connect with you? The best way to connect with me professionally is on LinkedIn. Um, I have a customized link. So it's linkedin.com slash in slash Kimberly Scott 05. That is the best way. And I love connecting with people in my field because I'm trying to build my tribe. So feel free to connect with me, interact with me, tag me, and don't be afraid to message me. I've had people reach out and message me and say, hey, I want some advice from you. Or I've had um, I'm a part of a lot of instructional design groups on Facebook and on Clubhouse. And I've had people reach out and say, hey, Kim, you know a lot. Um, I loved your answers. You gave me so much good advice. Could you be my mentor? Why not? I mean, everyone needs help. Everyone has to build their professional tribe. So don't be afraid to reach out to me, including messaging me if you need advice. Kim, it's been such a pleasure. I've, I've learned so much from talking to you today. I know that the listeners will absolutely adore you. And thank you so much for sharing your passion, your knowledge for developing software training with us. And I know that this is the first of many conversations that we are going to have. So I can't wait to chat again soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If it resonated with you in any way, please let me know by subscribing, liking, and leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you on how you're using these tools, as well as what you want to hear more of. So connect with me on LinkedIn at Sarah Canistra, send me a DM or email me at hello at theovernighttrainer.com. I can't wait to hear from you. And until next week, stay learning.